right. Good morning, church. Okay. Good morning, everybody online. It's nice to be here sharing with you guys today. So uh, Kevin, a couple weeks ago, he uh, came to me and asked if I would be uh, interested in sharing. And he asked me also if I would be willing to share just kind of our story, uh, my story of getting to Guatemala, my family's story of getting there. And because I'm sure a lot of you guys, you know, we just came from Guatemala. It's been talked about off and on here. And you probably are thinking, where is Guatemala? What is Guatemala? What's the point of you coming back here from Guatemala? You know, it's a lot of questions. So we're just going to just going to kind of share with you my life story. I'm not going to go into too many intimate details. You wouldn't want to go there, but um, we're going to go actually a little bit farther back all the way to the college years to get started. And I'm also going to do this with the, with the backdrop or the, woman, the story of the woman of the well as the kind of like the background of my story here. So we're going to kind of go in and out between both. But before we do that, I just want to kind of summarize that story. It's a, it's a long story. We don't have time to go through every verse there. But if you're looking for it, it's in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. And the story starts where we hear that Jesus is in Judea, and he is going to Galilee. And he decides to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. And this in and of itself is kind of a weird thing because most of the Jewish people would not go through Samaria. And we're going to talk a lot about that later on this message. But Jesus gets his disciples, they go through, he gets tired in a town of Sakar, and the disciples go to get food while he stays at a well. And the text tells us that he's there at the sixth hour. And this is also something that's very significant that we'll touch on a little bit later. But at this time, a woman comes all on her own. And she's just there to get her water. Jesus is there. And they start having a conversation. He asks her for a drink. This is kind of strange. Why is this guy asking me for a drink? Then they start getting into bigger conversations. And he says, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink. And I would give you living water. She's kind of thinking that's odd. She starts saying, you don't even have a bucket. How could you give me any kind of water? But the conversation goes on and on until Jesus starts to say things about her that he couldn't possibly know, showing that he's definitely more than just a man. She thinks of him as a prophet, and she starts to get a little closed up. She's starting to get a little bit worried here because he's talking about her intimate details until the point that he reveals to her, this is the first person that he said it to publicly, that he is the Messiah, and her life is changed. She drops her water bucket, and she goes running back to town telling everyone that she has met the Messiah. It's a wonderful story, and we could go into it for a, a, a long time. We could be here for weeks studying every single verse. There's so much into it. But uh, for me, there's one verse that I really want to talk about, and it's John 4, 4, which said Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, John is very specific in his wording here of saying that Jesus had to go. Why did he have to go through Samaria? So the title of my message today is actually have to go. I think that we all have these have-to-go moments. See, for me, I had a had-to-go moment when I went to Guatemala. I had a had-to-go moment coming here, me and my family coming to Graham, Washington, to High Point Church. It was God saying, you have to go there. And I firmly believe that if we are followers of Jesus, true Christ followers, we will all have have-to-go moments. In fact, we'll probably have multiple have-to-go moments. What do you think of that? Is that something that's like, wow, I'd never thought of that before? I'm not sure if I'm tracking along with you. 
See, I think the Holy Spirit is very, very serious about the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And if he really is that serious, he is not going to say, hey, I'd like you to go there. If you really want to, you can go there. He's going to say, you have to go because I am God and I am telling you to go there. And maybe you've had that had-to-go moments. Maybe you've had multiple have-to-go moments. Maybe it's taking you a foreign country. Maybe it's just taking you across the street to your neighbor's house. Or it's going to take you to wherever you go for lunch after church today. Maybe that's kind of a, an interesting point. How about instead of just going to the same place you always go to, just take a moment and say, God, where do I have to go after church today? What diner or dive do you want me to go to because you have something for me to do there? Now, you might also be saying, you know, I haven't had that had-to-go moment. And that's okay. You could, you could be here right now, and it could be that God is working on you and preparing you for that have-to-go moment. It could also be, let's be honest with ourselves, it could be that you've had that had-to-go moment, but you didn't hear it. It's very easy because we have a lot of distractions in this world today. But if we're even more honest with ourselves, maybe you've had that had-to-go moment, but it was not the had-to-go moment that you wanted. And so you've been trying to skirt around it because you only want to go where you want to go. See, for me, I almost missed my had-to-go moment. I became a Christian in college. I went to a school called Rowan University in New Jersey. And uh, I remember very specifically, I was at a Bible study. I was part of an intervarsity group. And this uh, Bible study was talking about missions. I remember very clearly that day. I don't remember the Bible study itself. I just remember it was missions. But I remember saying, "Uh uh-uh, not for me. I don't need my life turned upside down. I'm okay just where I am with Jesus getting me into heaven. How do you think the all-sovereign, omnipotent creator of the universe responds to words like that? Obviously, it didn't go according to plan because I'm here right now with you guys, right? And you know that I ended up in Guatemala. But that's, that's usually how it goes. We tell God no, and he's going to say go. You're going to do that? I'm going to tell you something a little differently. But... Fast forward a few years later, my junior year, and I went to an event called Urbana. Urbana is a three, every three years, InterVarsity has a missions conference. And I was there, and I just started to feel God kind of saying some things to me. I'm like, I'm not sure, but I guess I won't really know if I'm supposed to be a missionary if I don't try it. So let me see about signing up for a mission trip. And I met a guy there named Fernando, and he happened to be the representative for an organization called Students International. And so I signed up with him right then and there. I was like, hey, you know what? This is awesome. This guy's amazing. This looks good. I'm going to go. And so I just signed up completely on my own, didn't go with a team or anything. I'd never even been out of the country before. And I decided, you know what? Let's just go and see what this stuff is all about. So I go out there, have an awesome time. Amazing time out there. I worked in a place called Santa Maria de Jesus. It was an all-girls school of girls who were 100% indigenous. So their first language is either, what, uh, Santa Maria, is that Kachikel? Kachikel or Kiche? Kachikel. So they speak Kachikel first and then Spanish second. I don't speak any of those languages at the time. But it was amazing just to be with them. I loved it. And so I decided, you know what, I'm coming back. And I am taking four trips over the next four years, four short-term trips 
And on the last trip, I took a team with me. I took a small college team, and that trip was a little interesting. There was a lot of things that happened that I wish didn't happen, things with, like, the planes and everything. But there were some exciting things that happened. Probably one of the most exciting is that I met this certain very small, very beautiful Guatemalan girl who thought that I was a total jerk. So, yes. I think uh, just to show how much of a jerk, I think we have a picture of her right there. She doesn't know that I was going to be putting that up there. So, uh-huh. Yep. Yes, I still tend to be a bit of a jerk. But, um, but yeah, so, so that all happened, and I, I started to feel like God was now calling me to Guatemala. So I was getting the impression that I had to go there. Of course, I was also swirling with emotions, feeling that I absolutely had to kiss this Guatemalan chica, which I did in 2009. Everybody loves a wonderful wedding picture. There's us right there. I know, it's beautiful. I really miss that flat stomach. But um, it was a good time. It, it, was, it was awesome. But I ended up uh, going down there as an independent missionary in 2006. And I spent three years down there. We got married in 2009. But I remember thinking to myself, and I still think it to this day, and I'm sure that I will think about it tomorrow and days after. Why me? Why is God calling me to Guatemala? Why is God telling me to be up here today? What is it about me? And I started to think, like, did, did David think like that? Did, did Peter think like that? Was David thinking, why, God, are you calling me to be king? My dad wouldn't even invite me into the feast when Samuel came. I was left out with the sheep because nobody thought I had any value. Or Peter, who was a fisherman and, you know, had his own mistakes in his own life that he was going through. Like, why are you calling me to be fishers of men? There are better fishermen out there who can probably do it. But that's the thing. They were just guys. I was just a guy. I still am just a guy. There's nothing special or significant about me. The only two things that were important was, one, that God said go. And like I said, God says that to every Christ follower. And then second, a willingness to go. Peter was willing to be a fisher of men. David was willing to be king. We might all be thinking, oh, I'd be willing to be king too. But if you look at your Old Testament, being king was not a great job. Okay? Most of the kings, especially the ones who were in Judah, they didn't end, their lives didn't end in a very nice way. But they were willing. David was willing. Peter was willing. Okay? And that's, that's all that it takes. That's all that we need. So like I said, 2006 to 2009, I lived in Guatemala. I had a lot of good times, but I also had a lot of trials, a lot of challenges, a lot of mistakes that I made. But I wouldn't trade them for anything. And I think that if we look at Jesus' 12 disciples, they probably had a similar experience. They saw a lot of highs and lows, and looking back at them, they would not have traded those things for anything. So there's a verse, uh, a verse that I really, uh, I really hold on to, and it's Philippians 3.10. And it says, I want to know the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That power, we talk about that uh, part first, the power of his resurrection. 
That is amazing power. We're talking about the power that God used to raise his son Jesus from the grave. The power that Jesus used himself to raise a little girl back to life. To raise Lazarus from the dead. It's the kind of power that we all want because it could do so much. You got weak knees? All right, that power can make your knees better. You got a weak marriage? That power can make your marriage better. You just feel dead inside? That power can bring you back to life. Because that's the power that we saw at the cross. The power to overcome sin and death and set us free. That is why Jesus died on the cross for us. And that is always an open invitation for anybody who wants to come to him, who wants that freedom. That is the power. However, that verse up there is not an either-or statement. It is not the power or the suffering. It is a both-and statement. We need to grab onto that power, yes, but we also need to be willing to share in the sufferings of Jesus. So I think that this is something that the disciples had to deal with when Jesus was taking them from Judea to Galilee and going to Samaria. See, they saw the power. They had seen the power of Jesus. They were there when Jesus turned the water into wine. They saw so many other things, and they're probably thinking, sign me up for that. I want to be hanging out with Jesus because I'm going to be in that popular club. I'm going to be seeing everybody excited, everybody happy. I'm going to be seeing, I'm going to be the one who's just picking up all that extra fish. And then Jesus says, hey, we're going through Samaria. So that was the suffering moment for Jesus. Sorry, for the disciples. Because that's not something that Jewish people normally did going through Samaria. We have a, a map up here I want to show you real fast. So you can see down here at the bottom would be Judea. At the top, that lake up there, that's the Sea of Galilee. Sorry, the sea up there. And then in the middle, we have Samaria. Jesus was going right through the middle, but the green and the red represent the path that most Jewish people would use if they had to go from one area to the other because they hated the Samaritans. They despised them like the plague. They didn't like them because the Samaritans were Jewish, but they had been assimilated into other cultures that their Judaism was not pure. They weren't pure. They weren't wholly Jewish. And so therefore, they were defiled. And the Jewish people, the good, notice the air quotes, good, Jewish people would not go anywhere near them. They would give them a wide berth. So for the, for the disciples to have to go through there, that was the ultimate suffering moment. Because let's face it, we know what it's like. Just think about the person that you least want to sit next to. And I'm hoping that's not your spouse right now. But just think about it for a second. That's a suffering moment. They don't think like you. They don't act like you. They don't smell like you. You don't want to be anywhere near them. Yet Jesus is saying, we are going right to those who you despise. And make no mistake, they despise the Jewish people as well. So I can imagine that the disciples were really rethinking if they even wanted to follow Jesus. Their reputations might be on the line. You're going to Samaria? Are you a Samaritan? Are you a Samaritan lover? That was suffering for them. But it was worth it. They might not have known it at the time, but it was absolutely worth it. Because they, if they had not gone, perhaps they might not have seen the part of Jesus that they saw there. The part of Jesus that is willing to reach the enemy. 
The part of Jesus as willing to sit down with someone who is not like you. The Jesus who breaks every social and political and economic barrier and calls us to do the same. He invites us to suffer with him. That power gives us the strength to be able to go through those moments of suffering. And I'm sure that everything that the disciples had seen, they now understood, and they were more than excited to be able, or looking back at least, they now understood. They understood why they had to go through Samaria. Samaria represents for all of us that place that we don't want to go. For me, after our son and I got married, we moved back to the United States. Two years later, I was able to take a position as a youth and children's pastor in Pennsylvania. And I was super excited for this. Yet that excitement changed very quickly because that area and that position became our Samaria. Within a month, our side was saying, we shouldn't be here. This is not good. This is going to be tough for us. But we both felt that God was not releasing us from this place. He was saying, not only do you have to go through Samaria, you have to stay in Samaria. And it was an extremely tough time for us. We were pastoring in a small church. They had hired us full-time. And within the first year, my pay had already gotten cut because there was no money. And we ended with no salary. I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I just say it to give you the context. At one point, I ended up uh, getting a full-time job. I was uh, doing garage door work. I know everything about them. If you need help, I'm right here for you, okay? Not giving you a plug. It's all for free. Um, but the work dried up, and I lost that job. And I remember coming home and just locking the bathroom door and bawling my eyes out because I was like, I was a failure as a father, as a husband, as a provider. And it was just the worst moment of my life. Yet God was saying, stay in Samaria. Suffer. During that time, we had always talked, ever since we had gotten married, we always talked about going back to Guatemala. But then eventually that talk started to turn into prayer because around the fourth year of our time in Pennsylvania, we started to feel that maybe we were being released. So we started praying about that and investigating it. And next thing you know, we are actually making our intentions known, saying, hey, we are going back to the mission field. We started our fundraising, we got very excited about it, and then Samaria was now on fire. It got even worse for us. Pastor walked out on the church one day, hey, I'm out of here. And like the church is like, just nobody knew what was going on. And for us, we were thinking we were supposed to be leaving that summer in 2016, so we didn't lease our house for another year, but we didn't have that, we, our fundraising was like 10%. It was like, God, where's the money? We can't leave without the money. So a friend, of us, a friend of ours let us stay in their house for uh, the summer, but summer passed, still no money. We ended up moving back to my parents' house. We had a one tight room for us, living with my parents, an hour and a half away from my work in the church. And it was a nightmare. Yet God was good. God was sovereign. He had a reason for this. And so I remember in 2017, earlier that year, I'm like, God, what is going on? Where are you? If you remember, Kevin shared a couple weeks ago, he shared about Psalm 13, in which David is crying out. He's like, where are you, God? Why are you forgetting me? And I felt that. I was saying those words. God, like, you told us to go to Guatemala, yet you're not helping us at all. In fact, you're making things worse. That's how I felt. But, and I love the but here that David says at the end, but I will still trust in you, just to summarize that. And so in 2017, I said, I'm going to fast. I'm not good at fasting. I like food, okay? 
But I decide to fast, and I'm not telling you that this is how it will happen because God responds in his way and his timing. But within like two days after starting this fast, I got a call from a family member saying, hey, we're going to support you $500 a month. I was like, dude, like, all right, God, thank you. And thank you that I didn't have to fast very long. It's already starting. <laughs> but, but the money started to come in, and we began to realize that when the new pastor got there, whenever that was, that is when we were going to be released because God wanted us to be there to help keep stability. And I am very thankful that God did what he did because that church is still there. And we can look back and say we went through Samaria because God told us to, and he had reasons far beyond just getting us to Guatemala. His reasons for whatever he's doing in your life are going to affect so many other people's lives as well. So it was time to say goodbye. June 29th came up, and um, we were able to just, it was a little tearful and everything. We had a picture of when we left, and uh, pop up in a minute. And uh, we just, uh, we were able to head on out to Students International Guatemala, and it was an awesome, amazing time. So I was there, and uh, our missions and vision, our vision statement is seeing the students and the community transformed into the likeness of Christ and to discover their true calling. And I love that, being part of, you can hold up on that, that last picture. I'm going to get to that in a second. So I loved being part of that. I loved being able to see the transforming power, that resurrecting power that we were talking about, working in the students that came to visit with us and the students that we were working with. I did this with wearing a lot of hats. I did sports ministry. Um, I did sponsorship. I was a student chaplain. I did pastoral care. And it would take me too long to talk all about that. So instead, I thought I'd throw some pictures up here just to give you kind of an idea. That first picture was showing uh, just a, a time of soccer and discipleship. We would do Bible studies and have soccer together. Right here, we're in a place called Buena Vista. If you can hold up on that last picture, guys. So we're in a town called Buena Vista right there. It means good view. And you can see that it is a very good view. We can see all of Guatemala City below us. And that's my buddy Danny there leading a Bible study with a group of students. Next picture, it's just another time of soccer. Soccer is very big in Guatemala. I hear there's a lot of soccer fans over here. Go Sounders. Okay. Uh, here's a picture. We took a group of students and our summer staffers up to the volcano Pacaya. My daughter Caitlin is in the front there holding the flag. Okay. We actually were able to roast marshmallows up there. It was a little deceitful for me. It's really just heating them up. I thought we were actually going like, to stick it in and light it on fire. But you could, they, they, our guy would literally like, pull back a rock and say, like, stick your marshmallow in there and heat it up. It was pretty cool. Okay, next picture. So here's Caitlin at Lake Atizlan. We took a couple days vacation with some friends there. For those of you who, have, who love this certain place called Cerro de Oro, it is right on the other side of that lake right there. I know that really hits the heart for some people. Okay. Uh, this is during COVID time, and we had a group of our sponsorship students that were helping to give out vivres. It's just necessities that people needed. We were going around to different houses, com uh, connecting with the churches to be able to provide pe uh, stuff that people needed during that time. Okay. Uh, here, this blurry picture is a group of our students going to Costa Rica. This is a group of Guatemalan students who some of them have never even left their town before. And we said, you know what? You guys need to know that you are also missionaries. And they went on their own mission trip. They'd never even been on a plane before. That was the best part. Seeing them on an airplane was amazing. Okay. So this right here, this is a store. You can go to an Antigua and just buy your souvenirs. This is Mashimon. So the, the psalmist says, I forget what psalm, but he says, they have ears but cannot hear, eyes but cannot see, noses but cannot smell. Because that's an idol right there. 
It's just carved out of wood. It's thrown in a store. And you can go with your cues or even with American money now and buy your own mashimon. And the one in the middle has his hand out like this. You just put him in your home, put him in your store, and then people will put money, tequila, cigarettes there, and then make their petition as if he's actually going to grant it. Yeah, that's some of the stuff we're up against. You can keep going. This is uh, Maritza. We're praying over her, doing some home visits with the team that was there. She's like 13 years old now, and the story she has, man, you, you don't want to hear it, but it's just amazing to be able to work with someone like that. I love this picture here. This is one of my former students, Jose Alfredo. Jose Alfredo suffers from seizures, but he's graduating. And he asked me to come to the graduation ceremony. This kid was so thankful all the time, no matter how many times he had seizures. He would always be thanking God for his life, thanking us for how we helped him. And now he was graduating. And graduating is not a given. And he is just overwhelmed that he is at that point. And I loved to be able to say that I got to take part in that. And then last picture right here, this is my extended family, Araceli's family out in Quiche. And you can see that I am the one who brings the least amount of color to this family, okay? Without a doubt, the whitest person there. So. so that's a little bit. I would love to tell you guys more about Guatemala. I can go into other stories if you want to, you know, find me and ask me, okay? But to close things out, we've got two more things I want to do here. I want to return to Samaria. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. We know that Jesus, you know, we know he had to go there. We know he also could have taken alternate routes, but why did he have to go? Why is John saying he had to go through Samaria? See, Jesus had an appointment to keep. It says in John 4, 4 through 8, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he, needed, he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. The sixth hour is noon. Women came either early in the morning or in the evening when it wasn't so hot. The fact that this woman was coming at the sixth hour shows who she is. She is someone who is an outcast of society, a pariah, labeled as a sinner by other sinners. But she's labeled as a sinner. And so she comes to avoid the gossip, to avoid the hairy eyeball, because she doesn't want to be around that stuff. Who, who does? You don't need to be reminded. She already knows the mistakes she's made. She doesn't need to go to the well and be reminded every day by the other women. So she comes on her own. Yet this time... It's different. Because even though she was coming and expecting to be there all on her own, Jesus is there waiting. I heard a story from the Bible When I was just a little girl About a broken hearted woman Who met the Savior of the world i
like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? What do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Staring at that empty bottle I swear I caught a glimpse of him He met me right there at the bottom And turned that wine to living water And taught me how I've made mistakes, too many. Where am I supposed to go when I need God? God is spirit, and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from. It's no longer just a story when I read it Cause I've seen it for myself and I believe it I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah You are the first It would be good if you believed me Cause tonight I feel just like the woman of the world I'm going to tell everyone for a lot of reasons but he also had to go through Samaria just for her just one woman that's what he was there for and through that woman so many other lives were changed I had to go to Guatemala for Lindsay Lindsay was a student of mine a wonderful beautiful student we have a picture of Lindsay you can throw up there this is Lindsay right here. We're at a, a top of a mountain. We took our students up there for a hike and a camp out. And she's getting ready to share her story because she loves Jesus. And she would always be the one to have her hands up saying, I'll do it. I'll get involved. I'll share. But then one day, she went to market at the height of COVID and she met someone. And that person that she met changed her life forever because 
who she met there showed her that she was no longer the precious apple of her father's eye, her earthly father. She ran into her sister that she did not know she had because her father had an entire other family. And all of a sudden, she felt, why am I not good enough? What did I do to make my dad want to have somebody else? And she just spiraled into anxiety and depression and panic attacks. And her mom called me. She said, Profe, I don't know what to do. And she told me she was cleaning Lindsay's room and she found notes that revealed that she was going to take her life. I didn't know what to do. But we had that trip to Costa Rica and we said, you know what, we need to invite Lindsay. And we invited her. And at that time, the first day, we're in a church service, and she asks me to leave the church with her. And she said, Prophet, I don't know what's going on here, but I feel like this pastor is speaking to me. I feel like, something, like something's happening here. It's like, yeah, Lindsay, it's time for you to fight for your life. You do have value, and you do have worth, and that is what God is speaking to you. And she started to believe that. And during this trip, she started to share her stories again. Through tears and panic attacks, I would get calls in the middle of the night from the leader that was in the house that they were staying at saying, we don't know what to do with Lindsay. She's having a panic attack, and we just had to work through it. But God, as we were working through that stuff, God was working through her to the point that by the end, she was leading worship with our team again. She God had got a hold of her and changed her. And so we get back to Guatemala, and I feel God is telling me, i got to challenge Lindsay. And so I, I talk with her. I say, Lindsay, you know that you still have a big fight ahead of you because Satan's not going to let go of you that easily. She said, yeah, profe, I know. So I keep saying profe. That's what they called me, professor, teacher, because of my position in the sponsorship program. And um, so we're talking. I said, one of the best ways that you're going to be able to break free is you need to forgive your dad. And her eyes got big, but she said, yeah, I know. I said, we're going to do this, right? And she was praying about the entire plane ride. <clears throat> we get off the plane. We get, to, we get on the bus, get back to the ministry center. Families are there waiting for us. And Lindsay's mom and dad are there. The fact that her dad was there was a miracle in itself. Most dads are not going to be there for that kind of stuff. She looks at me real fast, just kind of like a little nervous. We just nod to each other. I watch her get off that bus. I watch her walk right, walk right past her mom and bury her head in her father's chest and hug him and forgive him right then and there. And it was so amazing to see this happen. A few weeks later, I get a call from Lindsay and her family. and She's so excited and she can barely talk to me. And her parents get on the line and uh, they say, Profe, would you do Lindsay's quinceañera? Here's a picture of Lindsay and her family. So quinceañera is like their sweet 16, except it's for 15, and it's a very big rite of passage moment where a girl is becoming a woman, and they asked me to do the service. We didn't even think that Lindsay was going to make it to 15. But I realized right then and there, it didn't matter about anything else that I did or didn't do. It didn't matter about how long I was in Samaria, how long I was in Guatemala. I was fine. It was all just about her. She was my woman at the well. As Jesus said, be my hands and feet. I have an appointment for you in Guatemala. And that girl gave her life back to Jesus. And just like the woman at the well that we saw in the Bible, she went out and told everybody. So as we finish, my, my question for us to think about is, what do you have to do? 
where do you have to go? Maybe you have an appointment to keep. Today, tomorrow, I don't know. But you have the appointment to keep where you have to go through Samaria. You have to wait at a well because there is somebody there and God wants to work through you so that they can know him. Or maybe, just maybe, you have to go to the well because you're Lindsay. Because you're the woman at the well. Because you're the man at the well. And God is there waiting for you. You just have to show up. Sixth hour, first hour, it doesn't matter. He's there.